0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: It's Tuesday, September 19th, 2017. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca, And so let's check in with WFAN Radio sports host, Mike Francesa. Mike has just gone on a 10-minute tirade, calling out the Penn State football team for poor sportsmanship.
0: Boy, oh boy. I'll tell you. These guys are so full of it, it's unbelievable. I couldn't get, I didn't have a fourth team field goal block unit, and you're going to buy that?
1: Now here Mike pauses for eight full seconds, perhaps remembering that his last words were buy that, he launches into this.
0: Now, let's finish up on a common note. Windows can be a beautiful, functional, and sometimes complex. With so many options, you need a real expert.
1: Okay, Windorama, big sponsor, but then he weaves the Penn State thing back in.
0: At Windorama celebrating their 40th anniversary, fifty-six nothing, and then he's icing the kicker. I mean, what kind of dope does that? I mean, it's it's almost impossible to consider that you could be such a lousy sport to do that to somebody at fifty-six to nothing. Celebrating their 40th anniversary, Windorama's 23 Tri-State area showrooms provide you with an...
1: And right back to kicking the field goal. Seamlessly intertwining sport talk, high dudgeon, and window treatments. It's like poetry. Then he's back with an ad for Honda.
0: The brand-new, completely redesigned 2018 Honda Odyssey, the perfect family minivan, is waiting for you right now at Bay Ridge Honda. The 2018 Odyssey offers advanced technical features such as Honda Sensing. So the kid kicks it again and misses it, right? That's the final score, right? The guy kicks it again and misses, right? That's the bottom line. So I hope he was proud of himself as he ran across the field. You know, I hope he was proud of himself for getting that 56 nothing. I hope he was real proud of him. I hope he was proud of himself on a coach's show. Show it a few times. A lot of class, coach. A lot of class. So go get yourself a Honda, Bay Ridge Honda. I love
1: this. I love this. There's a reason Mike Frances is in the Broadcasting Hall of Fame. I got to do this. All right, let's try. Let's try. So a Texas couple, he's 74, she's 67, were released from jail after being wrongly convicted of running a satanic child sex ring a child sex ring do you hate standing in line in the post office well no more for less than the price of a postage meter the child the three-year-old child said they shot a policeman in front of her made her chop up the body with a chainsaw put her in a swimming pool With sharks that ate babies, it was a three-year-old! There's this place in Chicago that'll lend you a goldfish. There's a town in Myanmar where everyone takes a vow of silence, and on the testimony of a three-year-old, these people do 21 years in jail. They were released a month ago, and they got their recompense. Are you ready for this? 21 years in jail. They got $3.4 million. It works out to $80,000 a year. They sat in jail for two decades. $80,000 a year. It's capped by Texas law. They were called Satanists. Building a website can be a hassle. That's why if you use the promo code GIST, you get 24-7 support. A free domain name. $80,000 after ruining these people's lives on a witch hunt, Texas law not so great about preventing... False convictions, but when it comes to capping payouts, they're on that. Don't mess with Texas. Texas is messing with you. They're the best-fitting, most comfortable underwear you will ever wear or your money back. A shark that ain't babies! Consumer access number 3030. On the show today, I spiel about Trump's speech at the UN. He didn't use the phrase fire and fury, but man, did he bring it. But first, inside the culture of the college fraternity. If you get past the drunkenness and the sexual assault, there's always the possibility of low grade racism. John Heckinger reports on these true gentlemen. Let me tell you a story about a kid, an 18-year-old kid. He was away from home in a different place. He had a lot of crazy ideas and long hair. And then 12 people began following him. No, wait, that's the different kind of anecdote. That's the one that it's Jesus. I'm talking about myself. So I was in Atlanta, Georgia. I wanted to go to school in the South, but I quickly realized freshman year that I was a fish out of water. I was a northerner, very much through and through a northerner, and um, there was just a southern culture that was smacking me in the face. One time in the dorm when. And a guy got drunk, literally smacking me in the face. So what did I do? I sought out my own. I sought out a tribe. I used it as a basis to, uh, to spread my wings. I joined a fraternity. I still think it was one of the best decisions I ever made, though. You know, looking back, not without complications. The national picture of fraternities is pretty bleak, and a lot of that's deserved. John Heckinger is here. He has written, True Gentlemen: The Broken Pledge of America's Fraternities. Hello, John.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Mike.
1: So this is the uh, this is the story of SAE, and through SAE, which is a prominent and in recent years notorious fraternity, you can't, some extent, tell the story of American fraternities. Why did you pick SAE?
2: Well, SAE was an interesting case. We did a, a, a series of articles for Bloomberg News that looked at SAE as the nation's deadliest fraternity. Mm-hmm. They had ten deaths in the period we looked at versus sixty for all fraternities.
1: It was a narrow period, a narrow recent period, including
2: a kid gets drunk and drowns in a river, a couple just uh, alcohol poisoning deaths, falls. That's right. Not yeah. so narrow. I mean, it was, I think, 2005 through yeah. 2013. Mm-hmm. So it was almost almost a decade. And they had the highest in insurance rates of any fraternity. And they were facing just millions in dollars in lawsuits. And the interesting thing is after the stories came out, they react in a way that was very different from any other organization I've really ever written about, certainly an investigative piece. You know, they were very, they used the articles to try to convince their members to be safer and to be, you know, and and they made some changes. And when I asked, could I spend some time at the headquarters doing research. They said yes when I asked if I could go on their annual cruise with 700 uh, fraternity guys. Yeah. They said yes. So- sounds like nationals. a nightmare
1: to most most of us. <laughs> <laughs> me being trapped with 700 SAE members. But tell me about this cruise because, wow, it, as anthropology, it's fascinating.
2: It's been going on for 80 years and it used to be held on land. Mm-hmm. And it's their chance to try to get these guys to learn about how to run a fraternity right kind of what what you were talking about but it was also the site of one of its darkest moments where some guys started talking about a really racist song that uh, essentially celebrated lynching and said that there would never be a black person in SAE but using much 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 worse language and
1: from that the song was passed around on in in this leadership conference and then it made national news a little bit later when People were seen chanting it and singing it in the back of a bus at University of Oklahoma.
2: That's right. That's right. But it became kind of an unofficial part of their pledge term, and so for several years, the pledges would gather at this, you know, amazing fraternity house, and they would teach this song. The the the, the educators would yeah. teach this song
1: with the lyrics. There'll never be an N word in SAE. That's right. And, and then you go. It's amazing journalism. You go and find the black guys that were in that chapter of SAE. Well, first of all, kudos to you because I, this this was a you know multi-day, maybe even week story flashpoint. Everyone on cable news had an opinion. You're the only one who really fleshed it out and found an actual black member and kind of traced the recent history of this fraternity. And as I'm reading it, I'm saying a lot fell on the shoulders of that guy to you know teach his white brothers what racism is. But he put himself in that position, and it seems like at least that one guy, and there are a couple other characters in the book like this who, you know, as people, we all weigh the pros and cons of of the interactions we have, and he was more or less fine with it.
2: Yes, I mean, now he's not proud to be a member. It's sure. kind of, they lost him, but through the fraternity he met his his wife. You know, they were the... Best men at his wedding. They're his closest friends. yes, and they still are.
1: yeah, those guys those, those guys, guys are from still ten years so, prior. to so this he incident. was really
2: and 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 those and those guys were were white because yes. and and so in a way, he was an example of how if we could have more integrated fraternities, there would be many more of these examples of true brotherhood.
1: But of course, the kind of place that would sing this song or teach this song to pledges is not going to favor integration. And even if they do as a fig leaf, uh, they're not going to attract black candidates. But, you know, a lot of people don't. Maybe, maybe they don't. I don't. Want to. A lot of people might not realize that a fraternity is a lot of different things, and it changes. There's a hundred percent turnover every four years, and then there's the national fraternity, which you said to me, uh, you've never seen a reaction like that. That the national fraternity really took up the charge, and that doesn't surprise me because the interests of the adult men in the national fraternity are totally or largely different than the interests of the nineteen-year-old men. Uh, actively on the ground that a fraternity. Fraternities are interesting as phenomena.
2: It's such a management challenge. I think of it sort of as the pre-Constitution United States mm-hmm. where you have, I mean, each chapter, you have hundreds of chapters. They're run independently. They have different cultures. They have different influences from alum, local alumni who have different views about how young men should behave and what kind of supervision they need. And then you have a national fraternity that is trying to set some kind of standard, but they have no control they have to rely on the, the alumni uh, chapter advisors. They have to rely on local police, basically, and uh, the deans. Yeah, And um, you do find a lot of cases where they're actually backing what the school is doing, and right. then the local chapter is actually fighting it. So it's, because it's much to, to more than Because to the complex. national fraternity, the chapter can be an embarrassment. That's definitely true. And then there's also the whole financial implication. Yeah. You have fraternity guys are paying sometimes hundreds of dollars a year for liability insurance. And I think most families would think that that also covers them, but it really doesn't. It covers the national fraternity
1: there are a lot of reasons why a person would get sued and in all those reasons since the national fraternity has the out they always say well they're suing you personally they could bankrupt the kids parents could be a chapter president who wasn't even in the fraternity that day he and his parents and their home could be you know they they might have to get extra mortgages just to pay the legal bills and the nationals not interceding and doing anything
2: well i mean typically what the plaintiff's lawyers will do is they will go after the national insurance policy and then they'll also go after the homeowners' policy of the kids. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the one one of the things I argue in the book is that no one more than the fraternity member should be trying to stamp this out, because there's just huge risks. And then there is the aspect of what we were, what you were talking about in Oklahoma
1: and also elsewhere in the book, um, the race racial aspect. And most fraternities are not well integrated and don't reflect the overall uh, integration of their college. There are black fraternities. There are white fraternities. The reason there are black fraternities is because African-Americans were once excluded from white fraternities. They grew up in, uh, in um, black campuses. I think black fraternities are probably more integral to the African-American culture than white fraternities are to the white culture. You know, Is that a problem or is that more of a reflection of history and uh, how fraternities were s- formed and how we sort ourselves now?
2: at this point african american fraternities serve an important cultural social function they have their own career networks and they've create you know they've their alumni include people like martin luther king and thurgood marshall yeah at this point one of one of the excuses that historically white fraternities make and it's not entirely an excuse is that you know you do you do rush there's there's a lot of competition for guys you want to join the fraternity and the african american fraternities are going to be going after the same same people. And because of the, the African-American fraternities have this uh, history of being participating in the civil rights movement and the white fraternities are really the opposite. They were yeah. against it. You can see that it would be tough. I mean, when you come at this from the outside, as yeah. I did, yeah. the idea that there's Black Rush and White Rush, there, there's a, a a Jewish fraternity, there's an Asian fraternity, there's a, <laughs> there's a, um, a uh, Latino fraternity. Know, and then a, 1951 hit. <laughs> yes. And, and if you think about how a college might want to get people to mix with each other. Typically, what you'd want is for some kind of random assortment of roommates in the first year. Yeah, Diverse, you meet people from different backgrounds. It's also part of the fun of being in college. Yeah. What, what happens with fraternities, particularly the historically white fraternities, is they recruit in high school. And by the time students get on campus, it's almost too late. And, uh, you know, one of the issues also is is the philosophy of the fraternities. SA, for instance, they have a a diversity director, they're doing a lot, but both she and the and the the top leadership they don't believe in what what they're saying. We don't want quotas. Yeah. And and I have no doubt that the nationals are looking at looking at this very hard. I mean, the there's a new new head of the North American Interfraternity Conference, Judd Horace, and you know, he told me that. Diversity is important for preserving and growing the fraternity movement, the uh, historically white fraternities that, you know, if if they continue to have a small demographic, the way the country's going, they're going to be shrinking. But it's, I think, without requiring some kind of disclosure of demographics, each chapter and putting enormous public pressure, it's going to take a long time.
1: I think that there probably are a lot of fraternities who would like to be more diverse than they are. I just wonder where you're going to get the actual students who raise their hand say, let me be part of that. Oh, I don't actually have to rent a civil war general's outfit. Great. Sign me up.
2: Well, it's one of the things that I discovered was that, you know, there's a lot, there are a lot of benefits of joining a fraternity and the oldest, most established fraternities like SAE and KA often have the most beautiful houses. And they're often subsidized by their colleges, so it actually ends up being similar cost to living on campus. Yeah, and I have talked to members, or I've talked to students who are black who were being recruited, and you know, it's it's an appealing prospect.
1: So you you mentioned we mentioned that the nationals might. Be a more temperate influence on the local chapters. However, when it comes to actually enacting laws and lobbying Congress, you write about the uh, frat pack, and they don't stand for the side of progress. Or as you trace, they don't um, even their members sometimes object to just how um, antiquated or let's say uh, reactionary some of their positions are. This frat pack—it's
2: the—it's the the billed as the largest. Um, political action committee representing uh, students on campus and it's a it's a it's a powerful force and um, they were helping push for legislation that would essentially make it harder to prosecute sexual assaults that um, would basically require women to go to the police before before going to disciplinary proceedings and um, the issue i think that advocates mentioned is you know the Police don't have such a great record either, and um, some women want to do this privately. And you had prominent old sororities broke with the national and spoke up yeah. in, 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 against this. Yeah, and, and and also as did
1: Senators uh, Gillibrand and McCaskill, uh, Kappa Kappa Gamma and uh, Kappa Alpha Theta.
2: That's right. So alum, so, so you believe. had you had kind of this this you actually saw the whole debate that's kind of in the book about you know the past and the future and and also I should say there were a number there were fraternity men who who didn't like this and uh, my understanding is that the leadership of SAE thought this was a bad idea so they were not one of the one of the fraternities pushing this so it is it's a struggle and it's it's going to continue John Heckinger true gentleman he
1: is but it's also the title of his book true gentleman The Broken Pledge of America's Fraternities. Thank you, John. Thank you, Mike. And now the spiel. I'll read a quote, and you tell me which U.S. president made that remark before the General Assembly of the United Nations. Okay, I'll even play the clip. So then you could figure out the president. All right, quote one. I see a hopeful world, a world dominated by increasing demands for basic freedoms, for fundamental rights, for higher standards of human existence. Ready for that one? Remember, UN only created in the last 60 years. All right, you listening? Here we go. I see a hopeful
2: world. A world dominated by increasing demands.
1: Yes, that was Jimmy Basically. Carter. But you know, that guy's all goo goo over human rights. Listen to another guy. And this, this guy also is prattling on about really understanding our adversaries. The quote is, peace conferences, arms negotiations, proposals for treaties could make sense only if they were part of a wider context, a context that sought to explore and resolve the deeper underlying differences between us. All right, who said that Leo Biscaglia-esque sentiment?
0: Peace conferences, arms negotiations, proposals for treaties. Yep, it was Ronald
1: Reagan. Okay, got another one, got another one. This one's succinct. The United States wants sanity and security and peace for
2: all and above all. The United States wants sanity and security and peace for all.
1: And that was LBJ. Maybe you didn't know by the voice, but that was LBJ. Okay, here's the last part of the quiz. Who said this? Fortunately, the United States has done very well since election day last November 8th. The stock market is at an all-time high, a record. I'll give you a hint. The same guy who went before the United Nations, remember, first line of the charter was, we the people of the United Nations determined to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war. Okay, so he went before that organization that led with scourge of war to say this, it has just been announced that we will be spending almost $700 billion on our military and defense. Our military will soon be the strongest. It's ever been. I'll give you a hint. It's the same guy who said these words. We will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. The United States is ready, willing and able. But hopefully this will not be necessary. That's what the United Nations is all about. That's what the United Nations is for. Let's see how they do. Let's see how they... Oh, yeah, it was Trump. Let's see how they do. They. It's the United Nations. Should be we. And, of course, also Rocket Man. The guy said Rocket Man. And I think it's going to be a long, long time before that's forgotten. If only this manner of diplomacy could have existed so many years ago... Perhaps lobbing a couple barbs at Kaiser Wilhelm could have forestalled the Great War. What's that needle hat? I can't hear you, antenna head. You get FM on that thing? Think of all the lives that would have been saved. You know, Ronald Reagan almost blew up his entire administration, secretly trading arms with the Iranians to funnel money back to the contra rebels in Nicaragua. You know what Trump would have done? He just would have called the Nicaraguan president, Dopey Dan. Dopey Dan Ortega. And the Contras would have won the day. You know, he still can. Ortega's back in charge of Nicaragua. Derpy dad. The part about Rocket Man was childish. The threat of destruction was discordant, but that's not the tangible matter. This is it's the words got us nothing. He couldn't rhetorically top fire and fury, but what he could do obviously, he was thinking, was to attempt to equal that bellicosity in a setting that was a lot more serious. So maybe now Kim Jong-un will take our threats to heart. Yeah, that'll happen. Next nuclear test slash missile launch in three, two, one. Trump did utter a couple pro forma. I guess you could say niceties or whatever Stephen Miller's idea of a nicety is. I'm going to say that guy had a large hand in this speech. But then he did call the Iranian nuclear disarmament deal a one-sided deal where the United States gets nothing in return. A weird thing to say in front of the United Nations where the other six countries that signed the deal we're sitting in the audience saying, uh, what about us? And even when Trump had a decent line, rhetorically a well-written line, man, it was received with a chill. Listen to the amount and type of applause that strains to even qualify as a smattering and know that in between the delivery and the response, there's some silence. And what's going on is that Trump has just paused and is glaring at the diplomats like a substitute teacher saying, "I'll no, wait. The problem in Venezuela is not that socialism has been poorly implemented, but that socialism has been faithfully implemented. (laughs) From the Soviet Union to Cuba to Venezuela. Upon listening to the speech, my reaction was "Eh, typical Trump loviation. If not American carnage, then this was a version of international damage. But then I heard Terry Moran talking about it on ABC, and I've got to credit him because he just blasted Trump and pointed out that the speech is shocking and that it was unprecedented for an American president to talk and act this way in front of the United Nations. Look, you don't have to think that the United Nations is more moral than it is. It is a huge organization. It has flaws. Of course it does. It represents the collective will of its member states. And the reason that it even exists is that often those member states are dangerous or even flat out evil. But at times, the United Nations can transcend its limitations, something that has rarely ever been said about Donald Trump. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Mary Wilson says, take a knee, take a knee. And while you're at it, take five minutes to fill out a survey that will pair you with the wines you don't even know you like. Just producer Dan Schrader says, just run it into the line, run it into the line. But standing in line at the grocery store, when you can have healthy, proportioned meals shipped to your door. Steve Liktai is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. He does point out that on the other hand, if you go half speed, that's when you get really hurt. But really, who could beat the speed and security of managing all your finances online? And they'll reinvest the dividends if you decide to punt. The gist, I tell you, Georgia State can cry and moan all they want. And that's why we have a money-back guarantee if for any reason you are not satisfied with your mattress, flowers, strawberries, mortgage, watch, suits, other suits, third kind of suits, online magazine, or liquid nitrogen, que parinha. Un peru de peru, and thanks for listening.